Three, two, one. Jonah, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing this afternoon? Absolutely great. Thank you for having me on. Hey, so if people don't, uh, people may know you as KJ52 in the past, and you've uh, retired that mantra uh, as your, I guess, a character or artist name. <laughs> I don't know what to yeah, call it. Hard. Like, it's hard to pin that one down, isn't it? It is. It is. And you're like, you don't want to be disrespectful of what it is because you've done well with it and you, you worked hard with well, it. So I don't want to. Yeah, let me clarify. I don't have any problem with people calling me that from oh. now till they throw dirt on the coffin. So okay. You can certainly call me that. This is more of something for myself. Okay. It's not. Um, yeah, I, I don't even think I'll be changing my social media handles because, you know, part of me was like, ah, it's got to be a clean sweep, full, you know, scorched earth. Uh, <laughs> all control reset everything, and then I'm like, nah. You know what? This this means certain things to certain people, and you know, I was thinking like, what if there was an artist that I really liked that all of a sudden just changed that? You know what I mean? I probably would, you know, feel a certain way. So, so feel free to call me whatever you'd like. Uh, if you want to be very personal, you can call me Jonah. But other than that, I'm totally okay with it. Jonah, formerly known as KJ52. Oh, see, see, that's the one I don't want to get. I, everybody's like, what's your symbol going to be? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to throw some dirt on KJ52 for you to keep that, you know, like you said, scorched dirt. There you go. So, no. All right, so, Jonah, so what what, what made you want to sort of uh, change your marketing platform? Yeah, I mean, well, look, it's been 20 years of my life. Um, I mean, there's multiple reasonings, but I think, uh, you know, the biggest one is probably just going, what's the next 20 years of my life going to look like? Okay. You know what I mean, and you know, you have to start making those adjustments before they are, uh, before you're in damage control, so to speak. And, yeah. and, you know, it just felt like the right thing to do. Um, you know, it's something I probably came on to 25 years ago. You know what I mean? Okay. And I'll never not be that person, but, you know, the passions and the desires and, and what that looks like is, is changing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's interesting because it's, it's more of a name of who you are. It's not like it's a band that separated. Absolutely. So, You're exactly right. So there's a difference to it in that, in which I imagine there's some tension in there with that. And... uh and you've, so you've been in the music industry now for, like you said, about 25 years. One of my fascinations is, is the behind the scenes of business and how it works. Because everyone sort of sees finished products, but they usually don't see how the sausage right. is made. Yep. And so one thing I was curious with talking to you is like you're doing a crowdfunding campaign. You're, I, I just did the math because you're, oh, but was it 130% uh, funded? For yes, your... and actually, I set the goal higher this time around. So, 130% this time is actually different than other previous times. Okay, I mean, but but you're well, get, you're getting over fifty dollars per contributor, which I thought was pretty good. Yeah. Which oh yeah, no, no question. It's not like people are just giving five bucks here, five bucks there. I mean, there's no. there's, a, there's someone out there that a large group of your fans that are, you know, writing sizable checks, which is impressive. Yeah, it's still uh, it's still kind of mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's what twenty five uh, years of hard work will get you, though. Too. I mean, you got some. I, I guess so. You know, that's my that's my severance package. I guess. <laughs> severance package. 
so so tell me then what uh what what have you you've seen a lot change in the music industry what have what, what sort of caught you off guard um i don't know if anything caught me off guard as much as because i'll be honest with you i sort of saw this coming way back in 07 08 okay i started to make conscious decisions to treat myself like an independent artist back then even though i was still in the major label setting Mm -hmm. so i took steps and measures back then to hopefully ensure the things that i'm reaping and benefiting from now um one thing there's a couple things that i have been a little shocked by and that's mainly because i maintain pretty constant relationships with those that are you know usually 20 years younger than me yeah producers, artists I collab with. Um, I'm always connecting and trying to learn from the younger generation. And it's interesting how much they will do things just for what we would call clout. You know what I'm saying? um, Stuff that we would demand uh, to be compensated for, whether that was financial, you know, platform-wise. Like, we really fought hard these tangible payoffs mm-hmm. their their payoffs are more about perception really i mean yeah it's crazy i i mean they'll they'll say things like oh, i'll do it for this i'm like i'm offering you money no i'll do it for that this thing over here i'm like wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> this is a definite different you know mindset it's you know a di- thing it's i mean a- the big thing too is you know where it used to be all about units and sales now it's all about stream numbers yeah. You know what I mean? And so, you know, if I said, yo, man, we moved 10,000 units, that's a decent amount of money. Right. They go, oh, I moved, they could go, oh, I moved a million streams. I'm like, at best, that's like $3,000. Yeah. It's you know a different saying? world to what, do they, what they're used but, to. Right. But 5,000 CDs versus a million streams, they sound different, but the payoff is different. You know what I mean? So those yeah. are things that I'm like, don't you see the, you know, like pull the curtain back on the Wizard of Oz a little bit? Huh. Yeah, no, it's interesting with the different bartering system too, like you said, with clout. And they're probably using that to leverage their streams. So get, you know, which when you think of a million streams being worth about three grand, you go, if you just, well, work, is, I don't know if that's the yeah. correct man. I, I would say, you know what I'm saying? I, here's what it is. Yeah. These guys, you know what? This is the difference. These guys do it kind of just for the love of it which is honestly sort of refreshing to me. Okay. Because we had more opportunities to play, doing a show didn't have the same allure, whereas them, like the first show they do could be the only show they do all year, and it'll be the highlight of their life to do one show. Huh. You know what I'm saying? Like for them to collaborate with another artist, like for us, you know, we might have looked at it maybe with a little more strategic you know, strategery, mm-hmm. but George Bush, uh, <laughs> we, we might've looked at it as more strategic. They're just like their cooperation level with each other. And the way they, um, applaud each other is infinitely higher. Huh. You know what I'm saying? So I think our generation was just more selfish. I have to say, to be honest with you. Interesting. Would you yeah. say, would you say too, is like, would you, would your generation, like you said, you learn more in the, like the live performance where some of the newer people out there putting music out there are learning more in the studio. 
Well, not even the studio because their studio is that computer right next to their bed. Right. That's their studio. So it's, it's, it's interesting because I was having this conversation today that they're used to such an immediate feedback and such immediate, um, you know, affirmation that they don't have to do the checks and balances. And you kind of live in an echo chamber because you're always going to find somebody that likes what you do. So that's highly addictive, but it also doesn't create um, – it only creates a certain type of artist. So case in point, there was an artist down here, a mainstream guy. He got all the way up to, like, just right away got on Jimmy Kimmel. And they were, you know, celebrating him, getting all the way to the top on the show. And I watched it, and within 10 seconds, I'm like, this, this kid isn't even remotely on the right key. But he had spent his whole career, which might have only been a year or two, pitch correcting his voice and making it sound great. He had never had to go in front of an audience. Oh. So my generation, especially as a white kid, you had to go and play in front of black crowds that may or may not have been hostile. That separated a lot of people from, they gave up. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, they don't want to put themselves in that atmosphere. Yeah, so, so it created two things. It created people, it separated people that weren't really serious about it. They gave up. And the ones that did persevere tended to be better because they had to be. Right. You know what I mean? Whereas now, you know, it's not good or bad music anymore. It's just effective or non-effective. That's a good way to think about it. You know, so what somebody go, ah, music sucks, but they're doing, but they're effective. You know what I mean? Hmm. You couldn't necessarily be crappy back then. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe you could. I don't know. Uh, and then so have you been staying in like in the, for the last few years as things have changed, like I just started following you say more, more frequently over the last say six months or so. Yeah. Have you been probably once you sort of, sort of took off the KJ five, two mantra, what's, what's the, what's the, uh, future look like for you with the more independent crowdfunding? How's that look like for an artist? compared to you know years past well i've been doing crowdfunding for over two years now okay i mean this has been the model this has been the model since i don't know almost 2015 okay so uh you know officially launching in 2017 okay um uh what does that look like i mean I'll be honest, it was a huge, scary step. I wanted to do it earlier, but I was told, no, you know, once you start crowdfunding, you're looked at as broken, you know, you, you, can't, <laughs> you don't have the same draw anymore, and now all that stigma's kind of gone. Um, I mean, it's been phenomenal. I mean, it's, you know... Probably a lot of freedom. Oh, I'm talking four, five projects, five different things. Yeah. Maybe six, six things. You know, over 100% crowdfunded. Some is up up to 200%. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the new wave. You know, I wish more artists were smart and they would do it. But, you know, again, maybe that just works better for legacy artists. I'm not sure. Yeah. When we say legacy artists, what do you mean by that? Um, just artists that can say they have a legacy. I mean, they, they've had consistent, you know, connection over time. Um I think for me, you know, I, I don't know if, if uh, 
I don't know, 20 years for me went like that. So I can't, I can't <laughs> say either way. <laughs> right. No, that's fair. But that's okay, a... We're talking about things that have never really existed in this genre, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, because in the Christian hip-hop world, it, like you said, it, it kind of – you're one of the the forefront people with that. Well, I don't – I mean, I appreciate the love, but I think we all stand on the shoulders of those before us. Yeah. Um, I think I might have been one of the first guys to be able to do it because of guys that came before me. Okay. You know I mean? Who so, who did you, who did you, who did you look to that came before you? Well, I came to Christ in 1990 as a teenager. Okay. You know what I mean, and so I was like immediately put on to groups like uh, SSC, PID, um, ETW. It's a lot of acronyms back then. I, right. <laughs> LPG. <laughs> um, you know, Apocalypse was another group, and even though I wasn't necessarily as much into them. At the time, I have to acknowledge what they did, which was DC Talk. Um, you know, every one of these artists did something for this genre. Um, you know, I would consider myself maybe second or third generation artist, you know. Um, so, you know what I mean? That's fair. I would say I just grew up with you more because we're probably in the same age bracket. Yeah, right. And that's the weird thing about Christian hip-hop is there's no real history it's just like when you came into it. Whatever you came into it, that's when history starts. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. It's just the nature of the beast. Right. So. You know, as our generation, nothing came before us. We were the, really the first who figured this all out. Right. Right. Well, but I mean, in mainstream <laughs> hip hop, there is a there is more of a legacy and like an education. You know oh, I mean? absolutely. Like, there's there's way more stress on that as a thing versus yeah. this time around. It's like. You know, we've just been struggling for a place at the table for so long. Yeah. Know. And how tough, like, because I always like, when people ask me, because I have a lot of friends in the Christian music world, and you get, you sort of just go break it down and go, well, how many people listen to Christian music, especially as a, like that specifically? And I guess it's maybe, I used to work in radio, like in the top 40s and the AC mornings, stuff like that. And... But you start just putting the, showing the, how the piece of pie gets smaller and smaller where you go, well, if there's, you know, X amount of people that claim, claim Christ and this many people listen to, you know, Christian music and this many people now even listen to more of the hip-hop side of music, the piece of pie keeps getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, but I would say the internet leveled that playing field. So while that used to be the case, certainly when I came in, yeah. now that is wide open. Like it used to be, you know, there used to be things like secular CD burning parties and, like, you know, <laughs> the safe alternative to XYZ. And here's the flow chart. If you like this, here's this. That doesn't uh, matter. Oh, I forgot you about the flow chart. Yeah, you can't do that anymore because everybody has access to the same thing. Yeah. So Drake lives next to Andy Minio. So, you know, for King and Country lives next to uh, the Black Keys. You know what I'm saying? In someone's playlist. Yeah. That's the reality. So that levels the playing field. So that also levels the playing field of faith. You don't have to necessarily be of the same faith. You can just appreciate it for what it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you find it, like, how hard is it to, like, get, in the, like, back 20 years ago, you're trying to get your songs played on the radio, and now you're trying to get on playlists? Yeah, I mean, um... Playlist game is very interesting. 
Um, I don't know if I really came in trying to get on radio. I know the label that I was with, you know, wanted to because that was their, uh, that was their, you know, that was their thing. Yeah, no, it was. It's so their, I had to make caveats and like, you know, I had to make changes to try to get on that or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't really fight to get on playlists now because honestly, I don't really have to. I don't mean that arrogantly. It's just like I can drop a project. It's already crowdfunded. Anything that happens from there on is just bonus. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, so, no, that makes sense. And then so I, I, I just have reached a point now where I'm really so much more concerned about my core fan base than trying to, you know, pull something else off. No, that's fair. I can respect that. And then so with the uh, how hard is it then a tour in difference when you may not have like a label or a management group like that pushing you to get attached to tours? Yeah, I mean, that's another thing that's changed is that that's kind of gone now. You know what I mean? Um, with the leveling of the playing field, they're not necessarily looking for major label or unmajor label. It's just what works. Right. So on one hand, that's great. On the other hand, we're all fighting for this tiny little piece of real estate. <laughs> right. No, touring is expensive. I, I had some, like I said, I had some friends in the music industry and it's, they wouldn't even cut like those. Like I guess we're professional musicians, but we consider ourselves more really more professional travelers. Yeah, there you go. Because spending what two hundred nights a year on the road—it's a different lifestyle. Yeah, and honestly, I don't know if you can do that anymore. I don't know if the tours or the slots or the venues are are there anymore, like they used to be. You know, you used to be able to have multiple um, tiers that you could go out on. Yeah. And now it's kind of like you either live on the road and you play for 50 to 75 people a night and you just literally live on the road like a homeless person or you're at the highest level. Huh. There's very little in between anymore. Huh. That's interesting. Like I always knew like, cause I live out here in Denver and I like talking to some people out here is that you either got the big names or the no names because that's what I'm saying out here because no one wanted to in route to does nothing in route to Denver where they'd always route South through Arizona on the tours or stuff like that. But there's just not enough. Like if once you go to Denver, your next act is, you know, maybe the other side of the state three hours away. But when you're on the East coast, you can do shows every hour, every two hours away. You're not traveling yeah. hundreds of miles before your next event. Yeah. To an extent. Yes. But I mean, you also don't want to travel that close because then you have what's called radius clauses. Yeah. You know, everything has just shrunk. There's infinitely less festivals, infinitely less promoters. Uh, the ones that are there are trying, are literally doing everything. You know, you used to do deals with the promoters and I'm sorry, you would do a deal with a venue or a promoter small, and then they would contact maybe a bigger promoter. Now they've monopolized everything. Hmm. You know, you're talking a handful of people that control almost everything. And, and it's no different in the mainstream. You know, I mean, you see the same things, consolidation with Live, uh, Live Nation and stuff like that. Yeah. Is it just because communication has gotten that much easier? You don't need one guy representing, you know, 20 artists to figure something out. It's like now it's easier just to get a hold of you, text you, email you directly to figure out what can get done. Yeah. I'm just yeah. I'm just guessing. Yeah, there's just, just yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. I book shows off text messages. You know what I mean? But <laughs> um, so uh, you know, it, it, 
I don't know if the, things are better or worse. I think it's just it's just the nature of the way things are. Yeah, no, that's fair. And then what's got you so passionate to still sort of say you, you've got that series you've uh, posted on Facebook while you're not quitting music. What's gotten you uh, going again to sort of just sort of go through the crowdfunding campaign again to sort of put, put another project out there? Put, it seems like a couple projects out. Well, no, I'm just saying I'm retiring KJ, but I'm not retiring from music. I yeah. think it's just take away. You know, I mean, it's just like I, people are going to read whatever they want to read out of it. Yeah. I've, as much as I've said one thing, I've had to say the other thing twice as much. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's just, I, I'll never stop doing hip hop. That's what I love. It's the music I love. It's, it's the thing that defines me. And I don't think you need to put an age limit on that. No, absolutely. What have you, what have you found different now with, uh, being a dad doing this? Uh, that my kids never leave me alone. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's fine. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting now because now I have kids that are, you know, seven years old, eight years old, okay. years old, four years old. Fun, year, so fun ages. They get into, I have three boys. Okay. But you know, when they get into like guys that are my friends, they're like, oh, they play social club. You know, I'm like, I, you know, they've sat in this house right here. And they're like, no way. <laughs> I'm like, it's just funny. I mean, stuff like that, you know, or stuff like my son wants to talk about, you know, the new Netflix series, Rhythm and Flow, or, you know, um, it's just, it's just interesting watching their experience through their eyes. You know what I mean? No, interesting. And then what, what do you see coming up for you? Like with this project and future ones coming up? Because it's uh, called well, Victory Lap, to, right? Yeah, my goal is to drop the book, drop the album, uh, do a farewell tour for KJ52, and then, uh, you know, God willing, move into full-time church ministry. Oh, yeah? What kind of church ministry? Yep. Uh, I mean, I, my, my hope would be to move into sort of an associate pastor or teaching pastor kind of vibe, maybe a college pastor, and then with the hope of lead pastor down the road. You know, I, I have lots of experience from a communication standpoint, and I guess I've ran my own business for 20 years, so to speak, but yeah. I still acknowledge that I still have a lot to learn. So, Very cool. Well, what makes you passionate about being like a teaching pastor? Like what, what area, okay, what, what areas gets you excited to talk about? Well, I've, I've been doing this. I mean, this is what I've been doing for about three years now. Oh, okay. So Sorry. I've been doing it full time. So, okay. you know, in the last three years, I've filled in as college pastor, interim youth pastor, teaching pastor, communications pastor, all at the same place. So, okay. Uh, even on this Sunday, I'll be speaking at all five services. Oh, very cool. What, what are you talking on? I'm actually talking about this experience that we're talking about. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm tying it into uh, Wrestling with God. That's the title. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of the text is about Jacob when his name was changed. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. So, okay, so here's a question. We were actually just talking about this with a group I was talking to. I was talking with, not to, I should say, um, is with uh, when people like following your call for Christ. Because there was a story that was told from a guy who went through seminary and then he was offered an associate pastor job. He's like, oh, my skill set's more for a lead pastor, so I'm going to wait for that role. And then, if you know, a few months later, the opportunity became a lead pastor came by and he's been doing that for like the last 20 years. And, you know, saying how Jesus came through and things like that, which is great. I'll, I'll, you know, we'll, I'll celebrate with them that on those things, but is there some form of like, I sort of see that and you ask go like, there's also some hindsight bias where you, you picked a road, which is great. 
like I kind of the phrase I, I we've been using is like even God can use bad theology. Yeah, crooked sticks draw straight lines. Right, and so it's just one of those where you go, like like uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this into a question. Is like how do you how do you help figure out what a calling is versus a just being an honest good decision and how they can be the same and different all in one. I'm sorry, can you say that question again? Yeah. So like how like, do I know what like when someone goes like have you ever had a calling on your life or things like that where it's like is it are you just making good decisions with, you know, the wisdom God's given you? Or are you, you know, jumping out on a on a ledge or on the edge to something new? I don't know. I'm 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 babbling here a little bit, trying to figure out how to phrase a question. But like the well, li- I mean, I, I I can say this. I mean, I, I I know just like when it was time to leave youth ministry to go into the music. You know, some of it was about passion. Some yeah. Of about some of it was about scenarios that happened. It was all those things. You know what I mean? So. Uh, I'm probably in the same scenario now. You know what I mean? I feel that passion to do this. I feel the timing is right. I feel like I've had good training. Um, it's now finding the right fit, so to speak. Yeah, no, it makes sense. All right, I got I got one more uh, line of questions here for you, which is completely out of left field. Just I never I never warned you about this, just so you know. But uh, okay. clearly, you've gone down a path which I'm about to go down. With how long have you been married? Uh, 21 years. All right. So I'm getting married in about six months for the first time, hopefully last time. And I want to make sure I do this right. So my question for you then is what marriage advice can you throw at me? So I don't have to do this again. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, your seven years are going to suck. <laughs> uh, that's kind of statistically true. Um, you know, if you can make it past that, they say that's actually when you slightly start to get on the right page. Um, but, I mean... Uh, that might be the most honest advice I've heard from someone, where everyone's like... Yeah, I'm, I'm honest to a fault. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean... Grind it through your first seven years. Got it. <laughs> well, most people don't hang on to the first seven years. That's why, you know, that tends to be when most marriages, this, uh, divorces happen. But... Um, well, I think a big thing is, you know, being on the same page before you go into marriage is huge. I think time is a great indicator of that. You know, I knew within three weeks I could marry the girl that I married, and we didn't actually get married for two years later because we, we put little checkpoints, you know, like, okay, do we feel the same way at six months? Okay, cool. Where do we feel at a year? Okay, cool. You know, in my opinion, or in my situation, I wanted to see if she was on board. Our first date was to go to the housing projects and do kids ministry because that's where I was called. So I was already like vetting her before it ever happened, before we even got to that point. So I think, you know, post-marriage is a little different than pre-marriage because I think you can, you know, and also like pre-marriage, you got to kind of start looking at yourself, like where are the areas in my life I need to grow? Where is there, it's, it's like looking like a little crack in the road over time that crack becomes a hole if it's not dealt with. Mm-hmm. So, and that goes for both, you know, and I'm not saying you got to like have this perfect person because you're not, you're two imperfect people following a perfect God. 
trying to work that whole thing out along the way. So uh, the other thing is, I mean, we just both resolved that divorce was not an option. That really helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we were both on the same page spiritually. That is a huge game changer. Uh, we were on the same page spiritually. We were on the same page career-wise. We were also on the same page even in some things that I didn't realize at the time. I mean, we started dating, and then I went right off to Bible college. We were already doing a long-distance relationship before I even hit the road three years later. Huh. You know what I mean? So, again, those are just little things that you can use as indicators. So, I am also a firm believer that a lot of men do not know how to be alpha in okay. their lives and how to be alpha in their marriages, and they don't know how to be alpha in their own personal situations. And I say that from mistakes I made. You know what I'm saying? Like, there were times where, um, you know, maybe because some of my liberal upbringing and things like that, I was just making dumb ideas, doing things out of desire to be um, accommodating and whatever. And there's times where you have to do the things that she wants you to do that she may not necessarily even agree with. But a man needs to provide, plan, and protect. Those are the three things. As long as he keeps doing those three things, I think most marriages will always be successful. The minute he stops planning, protecting, and providing, generally, again, I'm no expert, but I see that's usually when the marriage falls apart. Interesting. I like it. You take it. You took so, it a different approach than most people I've talked to when I've asked this. So I, I appreciate. Well, that. am I supposed to say something like "always say yes, dear"? Bullcrap. <laughs> no, it's just always get the last word in. Yes, dear. Bullcrap. And and by the way, "happy wife, happy life" is a stupid phrase. Okay. Absolutely stupid phrase. Also, if mama ain't happy, nobody happy is another stupid phrase. And I say that, I don't mean that to be mean, but I'm saying you're not responsible for her happiness. Okay, I can if, see that. And if, if, if your job is to make her happy, you're going to be a people pleaser, and she's not going to respect that. Now, that doesn't mean you're, like, out to, like, just <laughs> be a jerk <laughs> or, like, obnoxious. I'm saying, but it's not your responsibility. Yeah. If you have two people committed to their own happiness and their own self-fulfillment, the marriage does great. If you have one person committed to both person's self-fulfillment, it's never going to be enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I see what you're I'm saying. I'm not responsible. I'm not responsible for her happiness. She's responsible for her own. Now, I plan, protect, and provide. That will give her happiness. But my own happiness goes up and down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if Mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. That sounds like some like kiss butt stuff. Like I, I'm not. You know. I don't, I don't, again, I'm just, I don't mean this in like an obnoxious, like 1950s husband, like, woman, give me my beer. I don't mean that. I mean it more like, <laughs> um, she wants, you know, she wants you to lead. Yeah. And as a leader, there are times where there are, you have to make hard decisions. You yeah. Know? Anyway, sorry. I'm way too ranting on that. You're fine. <laughs> I appreciate it. Like, there's a refreshing honesty in there where you, like, and I don't think anyone would dis. I would say there'd be plenty of people that would disagree. But there's the where the it's like like you said, plan, protect. What was it plan, protect? Plan, protect, and provide. Provide. Do those three things. You've probably fixed most of the problems. Yeah, I should say fix, but I mean you've you prevented most of the problems. Absolutely. And then when, like you said, like you're you can you 
you might not be responsible for her happiness, but your job is not to try to make her unhappy. Absolutely. There yeah. you go. See, that's going to be my next point in my message. There See, you go. gotcha. Better than I could. I'm looking out for you. <laughs> I got your back. Damn, I appreciate it. So, so, all right. Well, is there anything else? Uh, where can they find you? I'll, I'll put a link to wherever you want in the description so people can help find you. The best thing is kj52book.com right now, even okay. though we only have five days left. But kj52book, check that out. Okay, kj52book.com. We'll put a link on there for it. I appreciate it, Jonah. Anything else before I let you go? That's it, man. Thank you. All right. Thank you, man. Take care. I'll send you a link, okay? Later.